0: Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to On Point. This episode I'm joined with Tony Wintrip, who is a singer, songwriter, and also an avid elk hunter who uh, creates music geared towards the outdoorsmen and especially the elk hunters out there. So uh, Tony and I talk about two passions that we both share, elk hunting and music. And uh, back when I was younger in high school, I, I was inspiring, aspiring to be a professional drummer and, and it was a very, very big part of my life for probably about 15 years and uh being able to meet with somebody that has actually went somewhere with it produced you know actual albums and and has songs out there that people actually listen to is pretty cool just to have a conversation and and just kind of hear how that's going but also talk about elk hunting which tony has had success in multiple different states killing one giant bull in washington which scored extremely high in the record books which you'll hear but uh just a really cool guy great conversation and uh, really enjoyed the time that i had with him we were actually uh our booths were directly next to each other, so we got to talk quite a bit throughout the uh, throughout Hoodoo. But outside of that, if you guys can, I know I'm probably sounding like a broken record by now, but if you can, go on to onpointpodcast.com, sign up for that newsletter. It's free. It's not going to be a bunch of spam, like one email a month max, and uh, that would seriously help out the podcast. If there's one thing that you can do to help out the podcast the most, um, there's plenty of different ways. You could leave reviews. You could buy a hat. You could become a patron. You could uh, sign up for the newsletter, whatever. You could keep listening to the podcast. Every download counts. But the biggest goal right now is to to get as many people on that newsletter uh, chain as we can. Because eventually that will hopefully uh, keep the podcast from becoming sponsored by anybody. Uh, Just having that email list will be valuable later down the road. So. Outside of that, I want to say thank you to everybody that participated in the review giveaway. Uh, I think we got like 10 reviews in one night after I posted that we were like one away. So a lot of you took it upon yourselves to go on there and just get the challenge done of hitting 100. And Brian from Day6Arrows is is hooking us up with uh, six broadheads for one listener. And uh, totally pumped about that because I'm really jacked about these broadheads. Really looking forward to testing them out and seeing... You know, if if they test like I expect them to, they're going to be a really great broadhead. So, without any further ado, Tony Wintrip. Music was a huge part of my life, and uh, for for probably 15, 16 years. And uh, you know those guys at the at the parties, uh, high school parties, where there's that one guy struggling to play guitar and he's kind of a douche, can't really <laughs> sing very well. That was me <laughs> um, so it was it's you know it's it's got a soft spot in my heart and I still have my drum set in my garage that I play like once a month you Do know you really? yeah it's it deserves better than what it is <laughs> than what it's getting um, but yeah, so it's nice to be able to talk to somebody that's actually done something in the music industry oh. um, and then hits home you know with all of us that hunt and stuff yeah
1: yeah so the the genre I think I was talking to you or somebody else about it the other day but it's not a lot of people really going in after the you know, yeah, hunting outdoor world type of uh, music and writing it. You know, I just be on a mountain hiking down, thinking about something someday, and think of the melody of a song in my head. And really, yeah. Usually when I when I get either home or back to camp, I take my guitar to elk camp all the time, and I'll it just starts <laughs> flowing. So.
0: You know, I don't know what it is about when I go to bed and I lay my head down, but that's when I come up with the coolest riffs.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: is Yeah. Is yeah. that for you, too? Like, oh, totally. The brain juices get flowing, and uh, and I don't know how to play guitar, like, really actually how to play. So I have these riffs in my head, and then I back when I played, I had a guitarist who couldn't really play that well. And so I'd, like, try and mouth it, like, what the riff sounded like. <laughs> and I don't think it ever worked out once, but it sounded cool in my head. So, uh, yeah, I taught myself how to play acoustic like just easy easy chords and stuff like that and and then power chords on an acoustic you know (laughs) so uh so tell me a little bit about you and 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 give yourself a little bit of an intro then tony
1: yeah so i uh live on the washington coast pacific northwest guy um i work construction for basically road maintenance construction for Mm -hmm. lewis county public works love my job it's a great job get vacation time and uh, comp time, sickly leave for Perfect. staying home and the others for hunting. But uh, um, I got uh, two kids of my own and then my wife and a stepson, and we live down in Raymond now and nestled right in Roosevelt elk country. Perfect. Um, and uh, graduated from Aberdeen High School, which is on the coast as well, and got into college and played a little baseball in college and started writing songs when I was in college. And I had my first solo um at one of our choir choir deals at the college. And from then on I picked up a guitar and started writing and opened for Brian White and uh randomly my uh I recorded some songs for my neighbor and he was a garbage truck driver. Oh really? And he had a cassette tape and he was driving around listening to the cassette tape and this fare promoter got in the dump truck <laughs> or the garbage truck with him one day and he was driving around with him trying to pick up a sub route and he's like hey this is my neighbor listen to this you know really so here's these songs uh i actually wrote a song called hunting fishing loving and living okay and uh, it was on that and he's like gosh he sounds pretty good do you think he'd want to open for brian white well this (laughs) was in 299 or 2000 i think anyway I had hardly any experience with live shows. I sang in like a wedding one time and all of a sudden he calls me up and says, you want to open for Brian White?" And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. I think I do. Yeah. Uh, and then I walked out in front of 2,500 people with my guitar really? and, and my six original songs. Actually, I, I had one cover song, five originals and that, and it was a humbling experience, you know, with a bunch of people cheering in a crowd of 2,500 and, mm-hmm. I get out and and uh, they want me to sign autographs. So I'm like, I've never really? signed an autograph in my life. And huh. anyway, that's the way. That's how the story started.
0: Really, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the biggest crowd I ever played for was a thousand, and I thought that was like, I'm big time, you know. <laughs> and it was like a school talent show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, those work, too. Um, but so, when did you start playing, and how did you get into it?
1: I started when I was 18 um basically right out of high school i just i watched the movie pure country with george Strait in it and and saw what he was doing and i'm like man i want to do that Uh and uh so i started doing that and and my roommate used to tell me he's like geez tony he says every time you had a breakup with your girlfriend you'd sit at the top of the (laughs) stairs plucking that guitar really and he goes and i'm not gonna lie you were terrible (laughs) (laughs) and uh just about four months ago he went to one of our shows at the Lucky Eagle Casino up in Rochester, and it was a sellout show. And he brought up that story again. He goes, "Gosh, I'll never forget it, man." He goes, mm-hmm. "You're you're doing good things now." And he said, "I never would have thought that you would have been a singer songwriter musician, you know." And that's cool. So, it's it's fun. So, uh, so you you do a genre um, kind of all on
0: in your own world, there's not really a lot of guys doing what you're doing with your music and stuff. And, and listening to you last night, um, there was a lot of elk hunting songs and, and living out in the country. And, and country songs, but they were all centered around the outdoors and stuff pretty yes. much. Um, I mean, where did that come from? Where did that idea come from?
1: Campfires. Really? I love campfires, playing around campfires. And um, I spent years as a kid on the Northwest, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, the Olympic olympic peninsula Mm -hmm. my grandpa used to take us out there and and my dad and we'd sit around a fire and we'd we'd count the satellites in the star you know in the sky and stare at the stars all night with our heads back Mm -hmm. and and so when i started writing songs like there's a song called city lights it literally takes me to looking up at the stars at night you know and you can't see them when you live in town right so when you get out in the country it just reminds me of those places that my my family took me when I was a little kid, and that's basically where my roots of writing songs, you know, came from. I'm like, I lived in the city playing college baseball, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I need to get out of here, you know? and So, that's kind of the direction it was going.
0: That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. yeah. I know uh, back when I was teaching myself how to, I taught myself how to play drums and, and not near successfully on my guitar, I suck, um, but trying to, like, create songs and stuff like that, and then it's just so rewarding, like, I remember sharing my, my songs with my buddies, and, and um, they're like, actually, that one doesn't suck, you know, I was <laughs> like, uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of, of actual, it's not just, because um, I have a friend who who write, wrote music professionally and sold a couple of his songs, and, and um, I forget which songs they were, but we've all heard them on the radio, that pretty successful um his name's Denny in in Roseburg okay and uh he was telling me like you know how to actually write a song and I'm like am I just playing random stuff and then I you know bridge and chorus and stuff like that but he's like yeah but putting together a song and then choosing the courses I'm like or choosing the uh the chords and stuff he's like there's a lot more to it and I'm like, okay and uh so i guess what i'm wondering is like how did you learn
1: to get to that point did you take lessons at all or is it all just self-taught or i um, took four lessons really yeah i took four lessons um down in aberdeen washington and i kind of felt like um what i was learning was basic enough that i could just pick up the chord chart and start doing it on my own so so i did that and uh there was calloused fingers and <laughs> bloody hands and yes uh i wrote a lot of bad stuff that wasn't that good when i was practicing <laughs> but the more and more uh <clears throat> i just stuck with it and really yeah and things would i mean things would pop up even like a restaurant where you see a, a couple come into a restaurant where you just know something's not right about one of the two of them they have a story you know there's some sort of a story to tell that that guy is not good enough for that girl, or Uh. that girl's not good enough for that guy. And I would sit there and think of stuff like that, and I don't know why. I don't know where that (laughs) came from, but uh, um, I had a, a song called Sit Down and Talk a While, and it's on one of my albums, and it's basically telling the story of this farm girl that earned all of her own money on her own, and she didn't need to be pampered by some guy, so it starts out with that she could basically buy her own her own uh drinks or whatever her own dinner like that when he's trying to smooze her you know and then mm-hmm. she says no nah. she says you're not gonna smooze me basically until until <laughs> i know your story you know yeah i want to know your background i want to know who you are and what you what you drive what you know mm-hmm. i don't know weird things come through your mind when you're a songwriter <laughs> yeah. you, you've heard them absolutely all. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually
0: talking about that earlier i'm like yeah i just think of random shit and i try it out that's how I, most of my videos come about and and uh, so you you grew up on the wa- Washington coast, so you're a rosy hunter by heart, probably. Yes. yes. Uh, now, you also do the bull down stuff. Um, walk me through that. You have a bunch of clothes and hats over there, too, that you're selling. And, and um, it seems like a lot of people come over there saying, hey, Tony. So you're pretty well known around the shoot. So um, you've got your name out there and your apparel's selling like hotcakes over there.
1: Yeah. Um, we're doing pretty good. It's been based around my music forever. The Bull Down album probably really set set me off a lot better than anything I've ever done as far as... Uh, I've recorded five CDs. Okay. So I carry three of them now, and and two of them are available on iTunes and whatnot. But, That's cool. Um, a couple of years ago, I shot the, the number one Archery Roosevelt in Washington. And that, you know, once that hit social media... <laughs> Everybody starts to know who you are, especially in the elk hunting world. Yeah, you know, people want to know where it came from and who's the guy, and you know. So, the stuff that we're doing now with the with the bull down swag and um, Northwest Wild is 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 pretty much the tone was set by you know having a graceful season of shooting a giant bull in uh, social media of elk hunters picking it up, yeah, and, and running with yep. it. Yep. And we play a lot of gigs. I mean, I I, uh, I opened for Charlie Daniels and Dirk Spantley and Clint Black. I mean, some really cool people. While before this even happened, so really? I had somewhat of a following, and uh, but this different genre was built all around the the elk world, and I would mm-hmm. say outdoor camping and stuff like that. So
0: that's pretty cool, man. I, I listened to you play last night because you're playing. Are you playing the, the other? Northwest Mountain Challenges around, yeah, around. yep. I'll be
1: playing at Tamarack
0: and Stevens. That's pretty cool. And and you played for a while, and it was all original. Not all of it was original. You played a few covers that people knew.
1: Yep, I think I played two cover
0: songs. Yeah, and, and um, but most of it was original. It's like just anything you could hear on the radio. I mean, it's it's good quality stuff. And Thank then you. Uh, there was one song that I really liked. Um, we'll, we'll have you play it towards the end here. But, um, yeah, I mean, your music sounds really good. And Do you have a drummer and all
1: that stuff? And do you have a whole band? Um I have a band back home. Um, we don't play that many shows together like we should. Yeah, um, They played on the albums. A couple of them played on the albums. Um, we've played some really big gigs together, but uh, my son had played baseball for the last four years in high school and just graduated last year, so I spent a lot of time playing gigs by myself because mm. we couldn't put forth the effort to have a full band rehearsal. Right. So we would just use the band when... We were going to play something big, you know, like the casinos. Yes. Uh, yeah. Other, but, uh, yeah, I had a re- I got a really awesome drummer named Mike Peterson. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Steve Brown, he played gu- uh, guitar. Dustin Adair played guitar. Garrison Duckworth, a good friend of mine, he plays the bass. I mean, these guys are legit musicians mm-hmm. from uh, Grace Harbor County, or Pacific County, actually. We used to play in Grace Harbor, and now I've, I've moved into Pacific, so. I go. I still bounce back and forth. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I enjoyed listening to your music last night, and you had um, a little crowd out front that was listening, and, and uh, definitely people were digging it and stuff. And um, I'm definitely gonna at least buy a couple songs because um, I was I was working the booth while you're, while it was going and stuff. Oh, right. Uh, the, the songs that I was, I was able to pay attention to while while I wasn't so busy was it was uh it was good. I really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you, man. But
0: uh, so I want to kind of go into your hunting um, aspect here because you. You've your your thing is um I don't know if what you call it a spill, but your your thing is a hunting elk abroad. Um and you've hunted across a few different states for yeah. elk and stuff. Um have you killed a lot of big bulls? Or was that just like a slam dunk, here it is?
1: No, I've I've shot a a handful of big bulls. Um I killed a three fifty bull, uh Rocky and a three fifty basically a three forty nine Rosie. Hmm. Um, several bulls hovering around 300 really uh oregon idaho washington basically those are the three states that i've killed and i've never hunted colorado i got points in wyoming and i can't wait to go there (laughs) but uh yeah i do a lot of calling um i use phelps calls um they're they're fabulous um and then you know the coast where i live is just brushy as all get out oh yeah and the elk are pretty vocal there and, uh, <laughs> it's just hard getting a shot sometimes. But when you do get a shot, it's it's often under 20. Yeah. So I've shot several at, I, let's see, I shot one at seven yards one time, shot another one at eight, <laughs> and then I shot one at 16. And, you know, so I've shot a few under 20. But. What are you shooting for a setup? Uh, Hoyt Max is 35. It's my favorite. There you go. I can't let it go. <laughs> there used, you go. I used to trade up every year and, uh, actually got a song called Bull Down, and it talks about my my Hoyt Maxxis. Really? I just can't let it go. So, and I shoot uh, Maxima 340s with the Muzzy 125s. The cars? No, I just shoot the straight original Muzzy one twenty five. Really? Yep. That's awesome. I've shot them since I started, and I, I just can't seem to change. I mean, they work every year for me. Yeah. So... I've killed
0: uh, I've killed quite a few deer with the muzzy tr- uh, with the green muzzies. Really? Just the green. I've killed a lot of them. Yeah. Wow. And then uh I've just never had a problem with them. I mean, no, granted they're trash after you're done with them, but um I you know, I've I've never lost a deer with a green muzzy and it's <laughs> just like the 6 for 36 packs, you know. Yeah, there you and, go. Yeah, and uh, that's just what what I could afford back yep. when I started to hunt, but there's nothing wrong. mean, guys like make fun of muzzies. There's nothing wrong with muzzies. Oh um, yeah. They're not the best broadhead out there, but I mean, you they could say that about anything. Yeah. You know, but um, that's funny you're you're, you're using a Maxis with, with 340 Axis and Muzzies because that's pretty much what I was using.
1: Well, it's a 340 uh, Maxima. Maxima Maxi- Reds. Oh, Maxima yeah. Reds. Oh, okay. I, you said I ax- used to shoot the Axis, and then okay. I went to the Maxima Reds, and they're tough, man. Mm. They're super tough arrows. I really like them.
0: That's perfect. So. Yeah. No, yeah, I love seeing somebody shoot an older setup but anymore. It's just like uh, <laughs> since I started doing this budget bow build, it's like, all the guys that have the older bows, they're now proud to have an older bow that, that yeah. listen to the podcast and stuff. And, like, uh, it doesn't make them feel, I don't know, like you walk around, and there's a lot of new bows. A lot of new bows. Yes. And then uh, sometimes, I guess, like a, I'm not going like to say inferior, inferiority pro- complex or anything, but um, you can still get it done with a budget bow or a 5-year-old bow, a 10-year-old bow, a 20-year-old bow. One of the best elk hunters I know um, consistently kills bulls. Um, he was using like a Matthews. I don't even know what it was. It was sound like a 22 going off. Wow. But he just switched last year and finally bought a new bow, but he'd been using it for, I don't know how many years. Huh. Yeah. It's just those guys that focus on killing the elk instead of focusing on looking the part or, or what the gear part. Um, you know, that's kind of what I'm transitioning to. I've always been yes. a gear guy, but now I'm like focusing on let's, let's kill the animal. Let's, let's yes. fill the tag and, and, uh, yeah. So that 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 bow tech's done a lot to me mentally too as far as like kind of a mind switch. But you meet these guys like Trent Fisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't know what the hell you know anything is. They they just arrow broadhead bow. Let's go. Yeah. You know. Right. And, and that guy's a killer.
1: Oh yeah. stone yeah. cold killer. Yeah.
0: So with your with your experience cuz you've hunted a lot of I mean um, what would you say your ratio is for rocky to rosies?
1: Um I've shot a lot more rosies than rockies. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm glad to hear you say that they that, that they're vocal because there's a lot of guys and on my podcast we've talked about this quite a bit. Is that the rosies are quite aggressive? I mean, mm-hmm. here where I where I hunt um, near home, I mean, you get one bugling, they are pretty darn aggressive on the right day, especially. But like if you get one um, like bull I killed last year, um, and it's just because I I was a little kind of chicken shit afraid afraid to bust him out of there but we bugled back to back and forth for two hours before i killed him wow And it was uh it was an aggressive angry bull who didn't move one step he just stood his ground wow let me get you know 17 yards and kill him so um what's your i guess contrast from a, a rocky to a rosie and what would be some tips for hunting each one
2: um
1: well I like to try and get up on a big vantage point, like a lot of people do, you know, for locating them. Um, the coast, like I say, it's a brush hole, yeah. so you could get a bold answer in a in a big canyon that's in a reprod, and you basically just got to leave it because there's no way you're gonna <laughs> get to it when they go to bed. But they'll still bugle and let you know where they're at. Yeah, they're, it's still a waiting game. You got to try and figure out where they're gonna go feed next. But if you sat on the same perch um, hunting a Rocky Mountain elk, it Typically, the terrain in the mountains or anywhere where the Rockies live is is not near as brushy, so you can figure out some sort of a scheme to put a stalk to at least get close enough to to try and call it in or sneak up on it. Um, our wind patterns on the coast are typically run by the tide, mm. so. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand and they don't think about but
0: I've never thought about that.
1: It is very it's pretty true down there. I mean, mm-hmm. when the tide changes, everything changes with the wind. It might take a little bit of time, but it'll blow consistent at one point, um, you know, and then the tide'll change and it'll turn around and it'll go the other way. Huh. But that's part of growing up or living on the coast. Right. I mean, you're you're you know, we're only hunting <clears throat> upwards of 15, 20 miles off the ocean. So you can see how, you know, that could be affected by uh, wind patterns.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm hunting mostly an hour and a half from the coast. And as a bird flies, it'd probably be like 30 or 40 miles. Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe 30. Yeah, probably 40 miles from the coast. And uh, this year, bear hunting, it was like, I just couldn't figure the wind out, man. It was like, we had a few f- storm fronts moving in, but I had this really strong updraft coming out of a canyon. It's in the evening. And uh, this bear's feeding down. It's just this spring, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, you're you're good enough to 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 take home. And and uh, so I'm setting up the the gun and, and taking my time because the wind's in my face. There's no need to rush it. Well, I could see in my scope the wind is just hammering just as hard on on the other side, but going straight down to him. And I think what that wind did is it went straight up, hit me in the face coming from the bottom, went all the way around, and either hit my truck. Or carried my scent all the way back around and horseshoe up the canyon, and then it hit him's nose because he went like this, looked up, sniffed a couple times, and then hauled ass out of there. Yes, I'm like, man, I'm like, I did not see that coming, and uh, I was just, I was just really struggling this year with the wind over there, and we await a lot of storm fronts at spring. Sure, and I know that kind of overrides the normal. Um, Mm-hmm. thermals and stuff but what what's your
1: experience with that with
0: um the thermals and the fronts coming in do you, do you get that sporadic wind
1: absolutely we yeah. get it all the time and going back to what you're talking about i strongly believe that a black bear has one of the best senses oh in, yeah in the in the wild oh yeah and they do exactly what you said they'll stand up sniff the air drop down and they're gone oh yeah and yeah. um you know and elk smells really good but i've seen so many bears do that stand up and turn around and see a yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, those sporadic wind changes are are very common on the coast, mm. um, uh, especially if you move inland past that marine layer. Yeah. We'll, we'll get a sea fog layer that'll come in yeah. uh, 20, 30 miles. So, basically, it'll start to change as soon as you uh, drop over any of those little ranges out of those um, fog patterns, and then, the, you know, then the wind swirls. and Yeah, oh, yeah. Ugh, there's nothing worse than being, you know, 80 to 100 yards from from a elk and having that wind <laughs> swirl, and everybody knows how bad it can get. I mean, oh, yeah. Our, my window for harvesting a bull when you're in that magic circle, you know, the 100, mm-hmm. 120 yards, is usually w- within 10 minutes, and oftentimes it's within about four or five. Really? Just because of those thermal switches and you know those patterns down there if if it's sustained and good and you're on say you're on the east side uh hunting towards the west where the the ocean is you're good i mean but those elk know too and they're always trying to get downwind of you um but that's the most consistent pattern because it's blowing in off the ocean that makes a lot of sense and in that fog bank
0: this year hunting spring bears again there's this fog bank it was a it was i think uh, 1600 feet elevation uh, and yeah it was about 1600 feet or eight it was 1800 feet elevation because right there is where I hit the fog bank and then like 90 percent of my area where I was wanting to hunt bears this year was uh, that night was fogged out like 20 yard visibility it was just super fog bank <clears throat> and it came right from from the ocean and then so I, I went back down and I kind of backtracked and and um and got out of it but the wind was a nightmare that night too um, we down low and, and, but saw three bears and stuff, but wow. yeah, that, that fog bank is no freaking joke. <laughs> no. It's no. Not. And for guys that haven't hunted the Oregon coast, so you can, you can imagine it, but I don't think you'll appreciate it until you ever get s- s- fogged out by a coastal fog bank. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so I'd love to hear what your, what your kind of, uh, playbook is for, um, say if you're, if you're off of a spot that you typically want to hunt or bugle do you scout a lot? Um, you scout a lot. I scout a ton. Okay. Because yep. uh, I was talking to the bro guys, and I'm like, yeah, we don't scout because I'm like, I've got some bulls this year. I'm going to find and kill. They're huge. And uh, like, we we don't scout. Wow. Yeah. They just, they let, they, they travel a lot and they let the, uh, bu- basically, the Bugles do the scouting down the drainages for them until mm-hmm. they find a player. Um, so you're, I'd love to hear yours because yours is a different playbook.
1: Yeah. Um, so. I hunt with my, my brother and then a good friend of mine that's a school teacher, Brad, and then my dad, of course. And uh-huh. um, oftentimes, my buddy Brad, he doesn't get the amount of time to hunt as the rest of us. So we want to make sure when he gets to get out there with us that we got something to go chase. Okay. So, you know, August 1st, when bear season rolls around, we're, we're hunting bears yeah. and we're scouting for elk. That's what I do. But typically, all the elk that we know do the same thing year after year. I mean, especially if they don't cut any timber. Of course, uh-huh. that changes everything when you're hunting private tim- or timberlands. Uh, next thing you know, you you. <laughs> I do a lot of walk-in hunting, so um, you walk in there, and then <laughs> you find out, uh-oh, Yeah. you harvested an elk there last <laughs> year, and you're like, I ain't going to do that for another 10 to 12 years, it looks like. Yeah. So they start changing their patterns, but I do agree with uh, those guys' philosophy of, traveling and bugling absolutely but i really like to try and stay ahead um knowing you know where the water is that year especially if i'm hunting rockies good lord i mean you you've got to know where there's water those elk have to have a a spring or a wallow Mm -hmm. the coast is easy there's water everywhere right so those elk are you know they're not afraid to move a mile or two and um but those rockies i believe stay in a pretty good pattern until they're until they're shoved out yeah um but yeah i definitely think scouting is probably number one for me and then shooting is number two and i don't know if that's the right order (laughs) i probably should shoot more Uh. but uh i want to be in the brush not to mention the solitude is is great when you work all week and you jump out in the woods and there's no one out there and you're on foot Mm -hmm. for seven or eight miles and life's good right right so when you get a bull to bugle, are you uh, immediately moving in
0: on him? I mean, what's your like? So let's just give you a scenario: in the morning, you have a bull. Um, he's bugling down below you. Um, a lot of some playbooks, like the bro guys, would wait till noon to move in on him, let him bed. They'd locate him then, and then kill him when he's let his cows go. But I've also talked to other guys who are like, "Dude, I'm not
1: leaving that bull. I'm going in now. And I'm mm-hmm. going to kill him." Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your What's your train of thought on that? You know, I've I've harvested bulls either way. I've got in right behind them where they're still fresh and, and they haven't got, you know, they've been up all night basically chasing, whatever else. They want to go take a nap. They want to go lay down. I Sometimes I believe that you got to give it a play right out of the gate, especially if there's other people in the area. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think uh, when they're in their bed too. I had a great scenario one time where we watched a. Uh, four by five Rosie, with about six cows uh, bedded in the bottom of a clear cut mm-hmm. at about noon and he was bedded right down by the creek it was just a random weird spot like why weren't they in the timber and it's kind of cat country too so i oh. think they were they were perched out there for a reason why well, i told my dad i'm like well i'm just going to sneak down through the clear cut in one of those drainages in the draws and i'm going to try and call him up the creek and it was a total game of peekaboo. It was the coolest thing <laughs> i ever seen. There's big stumps everywhere. You know, it's the bottom of a clear cut. So I get behind this stump, and I peek around it, and he's about, I don't know, 100, about 100 yards. Wind's good. The first thing I do is wind. Yep. I forgot I should have said that first. I, I flick it first thing. <laughs> but uh, I got down there, and I looked, and I cow called a couple of times just to see what he would do. And they were all looking, and he was kind of like, My mind, I'm thinking, if he slept for a couple minutes and he didn't realize one of his cows got up and walked off, Mm. he would be like, oh, what are you doing over there? So I instantly turned my bugle the other way, Uh just so I didn't give him the aggressive one. And I raghorned him. I call it the lazy man's bugle. And I bugled. And all of a sudden, he got up out of his bed. He gets up out of his bed, and he comes walking right up the creek, 22 yards, smoked, done deal really it was the coolest thing in the world his you know and i think i led into it right with that cow call first i think if i would have went down there and bugled Mm -hmm. i would have potentially intimidated him where he went well i just got done sleeping you know and just not i i I think i made him feel like his cow walked up there and then another bull snuck in it was Mm -hmm. the perfect storm i mean that that bugle behind that cow call you know 50 60 seconds later was I mean, he got right up out of his bed and came right to me.
0: Interesting, yeah. It it's great. it's it's always fun to hear different um, guys that especially kill quality animals, but consistently kill. elk, what the differences are in, in strategies and stuff like that. And and um, I, you know, I used to get disappointed when they would spook out. You know, quite often when I when I'd get in on a herd and then just blow everything out of there before I really knew what I was doing. But now, anymore, if that happens, I know that it's not over. Like for example, like. You have a good scenario like what you had there. Um, you get between him and his cows or something, and they're they're blowing out of there. He doesn't know what's going on maybe yet. And you bugle, maybe he you know. A lot of times that's like maybe the bulls trying to take the cows from him. You can always kind of create some sort of scenario to try and create it towards your advantage and stuff. And mm-hmm. and uh, like you, you created that own kind of scenario. Um, it's sometimes it's just being a little
1: creative. It is. Yep. It's the my whole theory behind it is called just Elk It, and it's one of my songs. <laughs> It's one of my better songs, actually, yeah. and it's based behind that because oftentimes, I mean, if you really want to kill an elk um, and it doesn't want to come in, mm-hmm. but you've got a chance of sneaking up and shooting it, yeah, we're going to do it, right? Right. So I always, my philosophy is get the wind right. If things don't work out and he's froze up and he ain't going to do anything, my option is just elk it. And my just elk it means I'm going to use every trick in the books I got right now to go kill that bull and that is i'm going to get behind a, a tree and walk behind a tree out mm-hmm. of his line of sight for 70 80 yards whatever it is to try and get close uh-huh. um i'm going to run like crazy with without an arrow knocked in my quiver just to try and cut some ground and then when i stop i'm going to just bugle really quick to try and think that somebody just ran into the bunch anything to try and freeze him up for a shot or to confuse him I, i'm doing it i mean that's and if you want to kill one that bad, uh, that's what you got to do. You got to <laughs> improvise at times. I mean, nothing's perfect when you're elk hunting. Well, sometimes it sometimes. lands right in your lap. Yeah.
0: Well, like, it's like that one. It's like sometimes you just have to elk. Like, I was screaming at that bull, screaming at him, screaming at him. And i have been in that position before. And he was at a little bit higher uh, than I was elevation-wise. And he was in some really thick reprod. And uh, I'm like, I've been here before. He's just going to bugle at me till dark. He's Especially if he has a cow. Why would he leave? Right. And so... um you know, it was about 7:15, and I started working my way into him, and then uh, I think I, I actually aired him right at like 7:30, 7. 7:32, 30, 7. Uh, or something like that. But um, he he thought I was a bull coming in. I was I bugled my way in. It was so thick that he couldn't see me or I couldn't see him until 17 yards. Yeah, I, I mean, go. and then so I think a lot of opportunities are lost. And I've been coming to this conclusion more and more. Listening to people talk is that uh, being over aggressive is probably Better than being under aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, I think. For me personally, I know my experience, and from coming for a guy that's failed a lot um, at elk hunting, um, I, most of my opportunities were squandered because I wasn't aggressive enough. I was too afraid of blowing them out. Sure, you know. Um, so, I mean, how how long until you really started finding your stride? Did you grow up elk hunting, or did you have to kind of learn it you know, on your own?
1: I I did. I grew up, um, but it was back then. It was uh you could shoot spikes and. Uh, now it's three-pointer better in Washington, but mm-hmm. I didn't start archery hunting until uh, 1999, I think it was. Mm. And I think I've shot a bull every year since, maybe but one.
0: Holy smokes. And then, so uh, that's really successful.
1: Yeah, a couple, I, yeah, I had seen it somewhere right there, but uh, I've shot a couple in different states, and mm. um, last year I ended up killing two, which was cool, getting two in the same year, but different states. That's pretty cool. fun. Yeah. But, uh you know, I can't preach enough about sounding way smaller than the bull you're trying to talk to. Really? I, I think a lot of people intimidate them too much when, you know, they're not, you know, they're not accustomed to that sound. You know, elk talk to each other all the time. You know, we don't get to hear half of what goes on in the nighttime when they're running, chasing cows, bugling all night long. Mm-hmm. They know those sounds. You know, they really do and if you get in close to a, a bull with some cows and you blow the wrong bugle right out of the gate that mm-hmm. says I'm bigger than you yeah it's not good i mean there you know sometimes it'll it'll change and you'll get lucky but i've seen them turn around and have yeah. that sour face like i don't want nothing to yeah. do with you and then you always think about it like god what could i have done different and then you're like well number 1 you could rule out if you go to a bar and <laughs> you're going to try and steal a guy's (laughs) girlfriend at the bar you're not going to go after the one that's bigger than you right right right. and he's obviously not going to try and fight the guy that's bigger than him so i think sounding small and being small is the ticket and you can be aggressive and be small Mm -hmm. and that's what i do my my style of bugling isn't competition bugling i mean i mean it'll it'll sound good but it it sounds real and it sounds like It sounds like I've thought about the game I'm going to play with this elk, and this is the way I'm going to do it. Hmm. So, I mean, that's just my own philosophy.
0: But it's worked. So with with your success rate, and that's a really good success rate, pretty much filling your tag every year. You know, the average hunter fills I think, every seven years. The average hunter kills a bull with a bow. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think would be the biggest differences between you and that? um, You know, I think it's 10% kill 80% of the bulls wow um on average and i might be pulling that out of my ass but i believe i heard that before um that 10 percent of the hunters kill 80 percent of the uh, of of the elk every year it's like that's the same guys that are successful as that 10 percent and uh what would be in your opinion what separates the 10 percent from that guys the guys who aren't filling their tags or maybe just get lucky every few years confidence really
1: confidence is the number one thing for me it's like what what you were telling me you know those years that you didn't um y- you lost you know mm-hmm. they got the best of you because you didn't try to intimidate them enough you weren't aggressive enough mm-hmm. you weren't aggressive enough because you weren't confident enough to try it okay. right you felt like that's your only opportunity maybe, and yeah <laughs> yeah and and so that's the deal i mean a lot of people will go i'm gonna wait it out I, i'm gonna wait it out and you're like okay well you're You're risking the chance of, um, you know, the elk getting up and and running off. You're risking the chance of somebody else coming in and do it. You're risking the chance that the wind changes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that come into play with. Or you take that chance because you're confident and go, well, screw it. I'm going for it right now. Hmm. It's now or never. And if he boogers and he goes off another day, I at least made that chance. Hmm. But, ah, man, I think confidence – is really number one in what you're doing. There's a lot of people afraid to blow a bugle aggressively. There's a, you know, there's a lot of people that want to just rip, roar, and sound the greatest out in the woods that that it, that you can. But I swear by being small, and, hmm. and I'm confident that if I if I bust a herd of elk in one place and they go into a shithole, you know, a mile away. I'll go find a a different herd in another drainage because Hmm. I've spent enough time scouting and I've hunted long enough that I'll go, you know, I'm competent enough to leave one place if I have to and go to the next. Right. You know.
0: Well, I've I've always heard that, you know, you got to put your emotion into your bugles. And, um, you know, until maybe you get pissed off enough to to put that emotion into the bugle and, and you really meet that bull where he's at, um, I've heard I've heard that sometimes just putting real emotion in, into when you bugle and communicate to that elk, it comes across. And when so maybe confident is also another emotion. If you're confident and you're just doing what you think is the absolute right thing, that might be something to that. That you're just you're throwing that absolute emotion and confidence, and that bull probably can feel it. I mean, um, you know, it's it's. I know this is probably getting a little out there but you can tell when a dog's pissed. He's snarling at you, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can tell. So animals can communicate even though they're not the same species. You can tell what something's doing. You know, a deer is blowing at you. You know, that's not a good thing. So right. I, there's no reason why a human couldn't put his emotion into that bugle and communicate to that elk what he's what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that 100% whether that be that's confidence or you're like you're kind of just chicken chip bugling at him and he's like "Uh, i hope this works you know who knows you know
1: i I think there's probably something to that Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: the hang up is a tough one everybody's had to hang up you know you get you get a bull bugling and he's not moving anywhere he's just bugling back at you Mm -hmm. it's like he's a a turkey roosted yeah (laughs) he just struts back and forth gobbling you know yeah so the the move that that's when you need to decide right there what you're going to do I mean, and if they're above you, you've got to completely back out and get side hill with them That's or what I get did. above them. Yep. Cuz if you try to call elk downhill, it's a disaster. I've heard that from they're always looking. Yep. Where are you?
0: Yeah, the guy that originally was mentoring me when I was uh, learning how to elk, he's like, you know, one thing I've learned is calling elk downhill is really hard. <laughs> it is. And he's like, he's like he's like I'm not going to pretend like I know why, but he's like don't even he's like I'm not he's like I'm not going to say try, he's like just keep that in mind Yep. you know he's like i've he's like i've killed a lot of bulls and i think only, maybe only one or two came downhill
1: yes yeah it's a fact he's yeah. totally right yeah but if you get that side hill with them or at least half the distance yep. where they got to come in an angle mm-hmm. they'll do it but
0: i think what it is is and i'm a theory guy i, I put theories out there all the time sometimes they stick is is you got to get on that same level until you're on that same level you're not as much of a threat Absolutely, and uh, you know, because he's got the high ground. It's like military; he's got the high ground. He's got the advantage. Come get it from me. Yep. And uh, and especially on a rosy, because those things they do hold their ground. Oh
1: yes. Yeah.
0: Um, with with uh, switching gears here um, with your rosy tactics, what changes for a rocky tactic? As far as that, do you change any of your game plans or anything like that?
2: No,
1: not really. I mm. I don't think there's anything. Um, you know, I've hunted rosies a lot longer than Rockies, but, um, I've actually had great success with Rockies and calling them in. Mm-hmm. And I think, I feel like I, I can be more aggressive with a Rocky because, well, number one, their, their horns are just bigger. Everything about them just, <laughs> you know, their bodies aren't, but yeah. everything about them just seems like, you know, you can just let it rip when you're chasing them. Yeah. That's what I've done anyway. But, yeah. Um... I don't think there's much that I change. I mean, I don't know the, the thermals very good in the mountains compared to what I know on the in the coast and the, you know, the drainages out there. Which is
0: funny because I think the thermals in the coast are harder to figure uh, out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, over on the coast, I'm like, it should be doing this, but it's not. Like, why is it not doing this? And then uh, you bring up things like the tide. I'm like, oh, well, maybe that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but... Over over there uh, in Eastern Oregon where we hunt, it's it's unless there's a weather system coming in. If it's everything's just normal, you can count on the wind doing this. There's areas where um, even if the wind's wrong, we're like it's wrong right now. But wait five minutes, that thing that wind should do what it's going to do, and then 99% of the time it will do what you predict it to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a nice flat swampy area, and um, you know we've actually we have two two or three different ways we hunt it, and and uh, it all depends on the weather front and then also um you know if the wind's just wrong that day the wind's just wrong that day and you have to hunt it sometimes it likes to swirl but it's um hunting a spot and then there's also when i used to fight fire we would have things called local winds and those um derive what science should say they should Mm -hmm. do and so firefighting is like you go over the local winds versus what the actual thermals should be and then and uh like there's a gun range over in canyonville it's always going left to right up that drainage it doesn't matter what it's doing wow really weird yeah and so I, i've always thought of that i've I've always held that firefighting idea in the back of my head and like you say elk it just go just with it, elk it man. yeah so with with the rockies and everything i mean you've you've hunted them um in oregon and washington and idaho you idaho, said yep that's awesome and so do you find that they're easier to get responses out of do you get more bugles out of them has your success rate changed with the rockies versus the rosies at all has there been any learning curves for you
1: i've I've learned a lot about rockies where they go uh to bed a lot quicker than roosevelt's. Roosevelt's are weird. Sometimes they'll mm. they'll go in early and sometimes they'll stay out till 9 or 10 in the morning and you really? know. But <laughs> as far as like calling um I don't know. It's uh it's pretty similar strategies I would say, yeah. you know, but where they go um uh, when they take off is, is like for example, we hunted Idaho last year and it took me a couple days to figure out. It's a big country. Like, oh, yeah. how far are these elk going to travel, and when are they going to stop? Because if you push them out, that's just it. I'm like, I don't know where they're going to go. Roosevelt's are pretty easy in my mind or predictable where they're going to go, and it's going to be a shithole, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, Rockies, you know, they can hang up in the, these little teeny patches like this, but they run two or three drainages over, and and you don't know, you know, if there's a timber patch there, or if it's just a, another open hillside. Um, yeah, I guess that's stuff that I don't really. It takes me a couple days to to get to an area and figure out exactly what's what. Yeah, well, probably I, didn't answer you very well. No, there, no,
0: I, I I'm getting I'm getting the sense that you know with with a lot of the uh, more successful elk hunters that that hunt abroad, um, they don't really change their game plans for rosies to rockies. It's it's they have what works for them. An elk is an elk. Just because you, it's harder to hear it over on the coast, and they're maybe a little bit more aggressive on the coast, which I think they are. Mm-hmm. Rosies are, but he's like, from all the all the guys that I've interviewed that are really good elk hunters, um, they stick with their game plan, and that kind. Of, you sound kind of, I just kind of do my thing, and then I'll f- figure out you know a few other things here, but really I don't really change much. Yeah. And uh, what works on an elk and the coast most of the time works on an elk over on the Rockies. And uh, we don't change hardly anything either. Like we've had, uh, it's funny, I I grew grew up in one of the most populated elk units in Oregon, but um, I got way more bugles and way more success quicker over Eastern Oregon than I did over where I grew up. And um, I just spent uh, usually like the last six years uh, hunting Eastern Oregon. And it was was fun because it took me two years to hear a bugle first first time i when i started picked up a it took me two years to hear a bugle and and then the guy took pity on me and started to help me out and then i went over to eastern oregon and it was like bugle 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 i was like (laughs) what in the hell's going on this real running around the woods with a terminator bugle you know (laughs) just it didn't matter it didn't matter um and guys like to make fun of the terminator but man i i've got the best response um i got six bulls going at once um The first time me and my buddy went over there, it was incredible. Wow! And uh, we were in a high pressured area that no one—they were hunting farther than we were going in. (laughs) And so these belt, these all these elk, and there was a fire that pushed them over too. And it was just like the perfect storm that all these bulls ended up in this little drainage. And uh, me and my Terminator Beagle—we I don't know how many bulls we blew out of there, but it was had to be a record. (laughs) We, We 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 sucked. (laughs) <laughs> we didn't end up killing a bull, but that was the best, most memorable elk season I've ever had. Wow. And, uh We neither of us filled a tag that year. Dude,
1: that's what it's all about,
0: though, yeah. isn't it? I mean, Yeah.
1: And everything you learn from every one of those that didn't come true, you know? Yeah, exactly. You, just, you pick up something new no matter what you do. I mean, the best elk hunters in the world are still going to make mistakes, and they'll all tell you that. You know, there's not a day in the woods that you don't learn something that you didn't know. Right. And it might be anything from a – plant that an elk eats or a you know yeah something you know something about a track or something about a you know anything in the woods I mean there's there's something to learn every day and you you just have to know that it just wasn't your time when when it didn't happen right I mean you're like what could I have done different right that's been my thing is is uh, and I've said
0: this for many years as I um you know played sports and and uh, it's just always been something I've told myself kind of like a like a personal motto is 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 that my failures refine me but my successes will define me and that's something that i've always um just kind of carried around with me because i i freaking failed a lot right Mm, we uh, all we all have yeah right and so if that's going to be the majority of your experience especially when you're starting off um you better get used to you better not maybe not like failing now winners don't like failing but you better be okay with it and you better learn from it if you don't like it and and um, I've always been that thing where if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail until I succeed and be persistent. And that's, I'm not the best hunter out there, but I'm probably one of the more persistent ones. And I'll get it done through sheer,
1: sheer hard work. That's right. And then sometimes luck. <laughs> hey, no falls, no balls. Yeah. <laughs> that, I've never line that. ever, man. That's I mean, awesome. You've got to just not be afraid to fail. I mean, yeah. you have to put that in the you know, the farthest place away from your mind as possible and not think, God, I hope this doesn't happen. Gosh, I hope that doesn't, you know, I don't want to do, you know, you just got to, you just got to just elk it, man. Yeah. You just got to go for (laughs) it, right? Yeah. And call. you know, another thing that I like to do a lot is make, I like to make a lot of noise. I like to sound like an elk. Yes. If you're too quiet, like you said, if if you're not um, aggressive enough and that, that doesn't mean like. Calling wise, just on uh, where you make your presentation at, or where where you get to the place that you want to call from, you don't want to sneak down there. Yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden rip off a bugle and just right. scare the hell out of them. Like, wow, I did not hear that outcome and yeah. now he's trying to eat me. Yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> right. So
0: that's a that's a really good point. I mean, a lot, I feel like a lot of guys, you know, they're sneaking into position, but yet they're projecting a really pissed off bull, and that doesn't really gel like you sound like a mouse going through the woods but yet you're this really pissed off bull that wants to kick your ass and i'm rushing in on you how does that make sense right and and you know we we've done all those we've done all those mistakes and i can say you know i have done that i've done this and Mm -hmm. and through those eight years or seven years of, of failure um you learn a shit ton. I used to joke with the burrow guys, and I still I still think it's true. I'm the most, I'm the most confident, unsuccessful elk hunter out there, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know I'm going to get it done, but I never do kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but And, and if you go on to elk addicts, I don't know if you're on the elk yeah. addicts. Um, yeah. you, you got guys that, like, how long did it take you to kill your first pole? And some guys are, like, still trying. I'm on 14 years. I'm still trying. I've been doing it, you know, a couple of years. Or there's this guy that kills this bomber bull his first year, you know. It's like, <laughs> I, it's, I semi-hate you right now. But, um, you know, it's just everybody has their own journey. You have to be okay with yours. And at the same time, podcasts led in, into many opportunities. And I would say podcasts actually led into my me killing my first bull with a bow. I mean, wow. podcasts have been absolutely integral. Mm-hmm. Um, like the early gritty with Phelps, oh, I was yeah. talking to Phelps about that. And like the early, early gritty episodes with Phelps and Corey Jacobson and Corey Miller and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I learned so much, so much. I'm talking to guys like you, hopefully, you know, this can be that. You know, these kind of episodes can be that for somebody else. That's, that's trying to find success. You know. Yes. Um, so I kind of want to get back on to the music here, and then we'll we'll wrap this thing up. But so you said you've come out with a few albums now, mm-hmm. um, and then do you have a usually you have a single? single per album that you tout is like this is gonna be my hit
1: yeah yep pretty much
0: so what yeah. is um was born and raised a single
1: for you it's well i haven't recorded that one yet oh you have that's haven't? gonna be on the recent recording okay and i talked with trent about it last night and uh he seemed pretty excited about it so <laughs> i'm gonna record it give him a hard copy and uh, see whatever they want to do with it but yeah um the new uh the new album's gonna have 11 songs on it and i just got started on it and they usually take a few months but the last ones i've done um one of them was pulled down that was that album and and that title and then northwest wild was the recent one i did and it's most of the songs are you know the pacific northwest type stuff but mm-hmm. so i guess i would um tout the title as you know the 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 staple songs on the albums yes yeah but yeah born and raised will be on the new album yeah so
0: that was um that was one that i really gravitated towards and i personally love that song just just listening to it and and lyrics and everything and and you know i feel like sometimes there's these mainstream guys out there um it's kind of funny we said hunt and fishing and what was it
1: hunting fishing loving and living loving and living is what i wrote in 1999 yeah and luke bryant yes say Did that piss you off at all? Yeah, Yeah. a lot. Yeah, I was like, man, because I didn't...
0: I mean, I listened to that song, and, yeah, the lyrics were like, yeah, I'm into that, but I don't really feel like you... Maybe he does. Maybe he's the coolest hunter in the world, but um, I feel like some of these guys aren't... I I kind of, like, identified with your song. Like, I related to it, Mm -hmm. and I just didn't get that with with the Luke Bryan song at all. I'm like, loving, living, loving, or whatever, hunting, fishing, loving every day. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of clicky, man. I don't know. I didn't really buy it.
1: Yeah, I mean... I don't know. There's great songwriters in Nashville. There's great songwriters all over. There really is. But um, there's something about when I write a song that I just throw it out there exactly how I feel it. Not because somebody told me how I should write it. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of a lot of the Nashville songwriters. Uh, they their co-writers where somebody will say, I got a better idea. You should do this. Or I got a better idea and you should do that. That's cool. It works for them, but... For me, I just, I, I I don't want it to be changed, my my music to be changed um, for something that somebody else thinks that I should do. Right. You know, and it's just because then it doesn't make it original anymore. Yeah. You know? Yes, My yes. originality is, is who I am, you know? Right. I love to hunt elk and spend time with my family and fish and, you know, drink beer with my old dad around a campfire and talk about, old stories and, you know, Vietnam stories and, and hmm. grandpa's world war two stories. And I mean, that's, that is just a real, I think is just a, a real originality to write about right because it's stuff that, you know, these people have done or, or I've, I've taken a shine to it. Like, Oh my God, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. Mm-hmm. And then I want to write about it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it just
0: feels like somebody that you know. You, you, you listen to somebody
1: talk about something,
0: and and you can feel like you're either getting bullshitted or they really know what they're doing, or and or somebody that's been there, got it, and done a t. You know, been there, done that, and has a t-shirt to prove it. Um, you know, it, it just listening to the to the lyrics, I'm like, this guy's out there. He he knows. Like he he does it. He's, you know. And then the versus, you know, I I can I can buy into it, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what I really appreciated and and, and really connected with that song um i would love for you to play it oh sweet on, on the show real quick and uh and then we'll we'll wrap it up and give folks a place where they can check out your music and stuff and and you in your swag right on man
1: yeah absolutely so
0: um tell me a little bit more about the born and raised song and where it came from and and uh how you how you wrote it
1: you know i started watching those guys oh, a year or two ago and um a lot like a lot of people and every episode is you know they're doing stuff like everybody dreams about doing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're—I don't know. For me, it was making a living in the woods someday, making a living in this industry someday. I've had that dream for the same here since I wrote hunting, yep. fishing, loving, and living. Yeah, and uh, so seeing what they were doing and just feeling like every time you're watching one of those episodes, you're thinking about how you were born and raised, and it's the same way. You mm-hmm. know, I mean their way of touching people, uh, with what they're doing is it just makes me feel like every episode I'm there, you know? So born and raised to me was, you know, a tribute to these guys and kind of telling a little story about, um, things that I did as well in it, you know, but, um, in their time and era, you know, similar to mine, there was, you know, like Garth Brooks was on the radio a lot long time (laughs) ago, you know, when we were kids or. You know, you grew up and your parents had a garden, or you, you know, you said prayers at the table, or you, you drank coffee, or you know, um, yeah, born and raised is just uh, hunting, and well, you'll you'll get the gist of it in the song. Yeah, so, I
0: I knew it was uh, called Born and Raised, and I and I related that to them, but I didn't know it was a tribute song. Absolutely, that's to to pretty those badass. Guys, man. They're they're yes,
1: they're amazing. You know, um, like I say, it 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 has a, a a total meaning for what they're doing um, mixed in with a little bit of, you know, my feelings about being born and raised, too. Uh-huh. Just chipping in. So, it's just, yeah, it's born and raised. That's awesome, <laughs> man. Well,
0: yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get this thing going, and then I'll, I'll make sure that the mic levels stay good for you. Okay. And, um, yeah, uh, you were playing earlier, and, and the mic was picking it up. So it's just a matter of the voice level being good, and uh, we're good.
1: Okay. Maybe I'll set it. Should I set it right there? Or the the mic. Yeah. I keep
0: the mic on, okay. and then I'll just uh, I'll, I'll adjust it for adjust you. Adjust it. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. And that's a beautiful guitar, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, Taylor. Thank I know you. enough about guitars to know when I see a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone I cannot play it though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How does that sound? Can that you hear sounds that great. Good? You can hear it great. So yeah, um, I actually had a like I was telling you, I have a Fender that's I call my my trasher (laughs) i love it but i played around campfires and everything and this one's more of the baby where yes um, i haven't had it for very long but it it's it's definitely not going to get any (laughs) cigarette stains or beer stains on it from a plane in a tavern you know (laughs) Uh, anyway this song's called born and raise
2: I grew up in a little town, head on wheels with the hammer down. I only had a couple of things in mind. Started out chasing girls and chasing bucks, bugling bulls and mallard ducks. and occasional rainbow from the lake. Where I was born and raised on hunting, can you take me fishing? As a young boy, I was always wishing I could make a living working in the woods someday. Born and raised in a garden, taters and corn, praying at the table, coffee in the morning, thanking the good Lord for who I am today. How I was born and raised. born and raised now I remember making mistakes grandpa's favorite line for goodness sake and I recall the first buck knife that I owned my first pickup hauling ass had to get my first job paying for gas and all I heard was Garth on the radio Where I was born and raised on hunting, can you take me fishing? As a young boy, I was always wishing I could make a living working in the woods someday. Born and raised in a garden, taters and corn, praying at the table, coffee in the morning, thanking the good Lord for who I am today. I was born and raised. Born and raised Born and raised With dirt on my two hands And I'm bound from nowhere Born and raised If you don't like the way I'm living I don't care All I know is the only way I was born and raised. I was born and raised, yeah. <laughs> born and raised.
1: There you go. <laughs> hey, born and raised live.
0: I love that. I, I chuckled i feel bad because i probably picked it up but i chuckled when you you said uh the first buck knife and and hauling (laughs) ass in your first truck because i remember my first buck knife. it was it was a i want to say it was like a jack knife model and it would attach to your belt loop and my uncle gave it to me and it was a cheap ass buck knife but it was one of the sharpest knives i ever had absolutely yeah and uh i lost it in eastern oregon when when i was hunting over there hunting familiar with my dad but
1: (laughs) And you felt like a beast when you had it, right? Uh, dude, so I do. Cool I was like I
0: was I was slicing paper with it, just don't the shit out of it. But I was dying, you know, it was, just, it was so sharp. <laughs> and uh I was like, Yeah, I've, I've looked for one since I haven't found one. I'll be darn. But yeah.
1: Yeah, things have changed with knives, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They have. <laughs> it was
0: I know it wasn't an expensive one, but damn that thing was sharp. But uh, yeah, that was an awesome song, man. Thank you. So, um, so give me a few links for the folks that are listening, and and tell them where they can find you, where they can pick up your music at, and and uh, give yourself a shameless plug. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: so, uh, Instagram. My my uh, handle is at Elksinger. Uh, you can find me on there. My website is Productions dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all of our swag on site there: hats, shirts, CDs. Uh, we've got a calendar that we don't update as much as we should, but um, I'm pretty lazy about uh, putting gigs on there until like two or three days before. But, really? Yeah, but I'm going to get better at it. But, uh, <laughs> so there's that. And then Facebook is uh, Tony Wintrip Music. Cool. I have a music site on there where you can see my upcoming shows there as well. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little... It's a fun passion, yeah. Right? You can't hide it. You gotta let it. You gotta let it all go out when you're trying to, you know, figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life and and how you want to be involved in the outdoor world. And I, I feel like uh, my music's the direction that could take me down that uh, elk hunting road with everybody else and oh, yeah. provide entertainment for them, you know. And right, that's where I'm going with it.
0: Perfect. You. Well, you found yourself a niche, and and I think that people relate so you know if if El was easy i don't think it would it would mean anything and and you found something that that you're good at that takes a lot of hard work and, and things that are hard i think that be, that people participate in they, they there's more of a struggle when there's more of a struggle there's more emotion and and there's more of a connection and i think that that's what what's well, what, that's what you bring you bring that emotional connection to your song because El Canton's hard it's a it struggle is. And and uh, and you're singing about it, and so people can really relate
1: to that. It's fun. It's a fun way to get it out there. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> oh
0: hell yeah! So, all right, Tony. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show, man, and, and let me pick your brain and, and talk to you about you know elk hunting and your music. I had a great time and uh, really appreciate that song, and I will be downloading that one for sure.
1: Right on! I absolutely had a blast with you. I wish you the best with this. And awesome, man! I'm gonna I'm gonna share the heck out of this stuff. Uh, you're you're a standout dude, and oh thanks. Uh, I couldn't imagine having a booth next to somebody else man <laughs> right. this has been fun
0: yeah traegering and and uh sharing each other's food and yeah and swapping swag and yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you, you've been great to me garrett I Appreciate awesome
0: it. likewise man well you have a good rest of the one and uh i'll be listening to your music in the future man
1: all right thank you brother
0: see ya. Alright everyone, that's this episode of the podcast. Thanks Tony for coming on the show and thank you everybody for listening. If you can, be sure to go check out his stuff down below in the show notes or links to everything he's got. and uh, Just click on the links and you can buy a shirt, hat, he's got some cool swag, and uh, you can buy his music uh, with these links below as well. Just support a really cool dude. Uh, Outside of that, appreciate everybody listening. If you can, uh, do one of the many, many different methods I talked about in the intro where you can support the show. Review, Patreon, Um, It's uh, www.patreon.com forward slash onpointpodcast or onpointpodcast.com, or you can go on iTunes, leave a review, or just don't do any of them and just keep listening to the show because every download counts, and I appreciate it. So outside of that, thanks for listening to the show, everybody. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.